So everyone has kind of a go-to person or people, don't you, that when you need good advice, somebody you ask. They may not have always given you good advice, but you tend to have certain people you think of when you ask for, you want good advice. And, and cultures form that, and there's sayings and things that get done, and some will become Proverbs. We're in the book of Proverbs, which is basically sound advice. But uh, that advice is, is found in lots of places, and certain cultures have certain things that they say that, that just are kind of, they're known for. And there is a, a proverb from Norway that goes like this. In every woman, there is a queen. Speak to the queen, and the queen will answer. You like that? There's an Irish proverb that says, he who gets a reputation for early rising can stay in bed till midday. There's a Chinese proverb that says, kill a chicken before a monkey. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> the French have a proverb, wait until it's night before saying it's been a fine day. There's a Jewish proverb that says, one of life's great mysteries is how the boy who wasn't good enough to marry your daughter can be the father of the smartest grandchild in the world. <laughs> There's an Italian proverb that says, the best armor is to keep out of range. We are lovers, not fighters. And there's a proverb from Greece that says, milk the cow, but don't pull off the udder. There's lots of sayings and phrases, but you know what's really cool about our God is that he has not just put us on earth and forgotten us and left us. He He has given us an owner's manual. He's given us direction, and he's given us his presence to walk through our life with, even in a fallen world, even in a world with death and pain. And he's given us wisdom. He says, look, I wrote the book on how human beings function. You want to hear it? The wisdom literature that's found in the middle of the Bible is, is pretty much a collection of that. It's very, very practical stuff. It's not just pie in the sky. It's not just... Oh, wait till you get to heaven. It's look, no, you got life on earth. You want to know how you're supposed to function? Let me give you some advice. The difference between this advice or these Proverbs and the Proverbs that you get from around the world is that these Proverbs come from the hand of the Most High God. God himself, our maker, said this is true. This is real. This is how it works. You want to know? And so he's given us plenty of advice on very real things. And we have looked at how we handle our money and how we go after fame and what we do with our sexual impulses and how we do relationships and, and family and marriage. And he's, he's given a whole lot of stuff. And here's what you tend to find when you look in the book of Proverbs, that a whole lot of it kind of is countercultural to everything that your impulses tell you. It kind of runs contrary to even the wisdom that you find in our world and our culture. It's, it's unconventional wisdom. It's chock full of it. But this is what we know about it when it's given to us. This is what we can be absolutely sure about. Because this book is not just written by man. This is God breathed. This is the word of God. This is absolute truth. And so when God gives a proverb that says, you know what, this is kind of the way it's supposed to work. We, you can rest on that. You can rely on it. You can say, all right, if I want to be a wise person, if I want my life to be the best it can be, I want to pay attention to this. Even when it goes contrary to every natural impulse you get or all the advice you might get from somebody else. So today we're going to finish, we're going to land the plane on the book of Proverbs. And I really want to encourage you. Billy Graham has done this his whole life. He, he reads a chapter of Proverbs every day of the month because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and it just kind of, you can finish it in a month. He's done that for 
decades. And it's really a good practice. Just think about doing that. Think about just opening a, and the date of the, of the month. Just read that chapter in Proverbs. So we, we've not been exhaustive, but we want to camp out on a handful of other things. And it's almost like we're going to scatter some seed because there's some unconventional wisdom God has given that's just really, really practical, really just down where you live stuff, down and dirty stuff. And we're going to touch on it, walk, look through it a little bit and know that his best way is going to be reflected in this. Ready? Here's, here's, there's going to be a handful of them. I'm going to give you a phrase. We're going to look at some Proverbs. If you've got, if you got a Bible with you, which we encourage you to bring, um, I'm going to show you a bunch of verses, but I'm going to take a little time in Proverbs 6 in just a little bit. You might turn to there. We're going to end in Proverbs 3. Okay? Here's, here's just a, this is from God. This is what his word has to say. Here's a proverb for life. This is how we might summarize it. Leave people wishing for more of you, not less. This is kind of contrary to everything in our, in our culture that says be about self-promotion. Get your name out there. All pub, there is no such thing as bad publicity. You want, you want to be known and you want to, you, you want to present yourself. And God's going to say, yeah, you know what? You want to leave people wishing for more of you, not less of you. And there's some ways you can do that. For one of those, it's just very practical. You know, watch how long you stay with people when you visit. Proverbs says it this way, 15. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you're well, you, you will wear out your welcome. Can I give you a little hint? When, when people say, we have these great little tools we use. You know what? We got to get the babysitter home. You know what that really means? We've had about all the fun we can stand with you. Oh, no, there's occasionally that has to happen. Got to get up early in the morning. You know what? It's kind of time for you to leave. You know what? Re- read the room and realize you're not nearly as interesting as you think you are. God would say, the, what, watch how much you put out there. We got this uh, phrase now, right? We call it oversharing in our culture. Pro- Proverbs 27 uh, puts it this way. If you shout a pleasant greeting to your neighbor too early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse. Don't just throw yourself out there in front of people and say, oh, look, hey, here I am, here I am. People go, yeah, leave, leave us alone, please. Can I, can I just, I'm just going to, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm just going to say some stuff today that I think are application of this. All right. You know what? We don't really care to look on social media at what your lunch looks like. It's just, just saying. Most of us don't really care. And, and, and God loves you. But if you, when you send a Christmas card and you send the letter in it, that has all the stuff about all the wondrous things that your children have done. Do you know what we want to do when we read that? I, it's not that we want to celebrate. Oh, yeah, we say we do, but we just go, please. Yes, your kids are marvelous. They're wonderful. Leave us alone. Stop it. That, and when you have a baby, yes, we know your baby is a miracle. We believe that your baby's a miracle. And we believe that you believe that your baby is the most beautiful baby that has ever lived. We know that. We don't think so. <laughs> don't ask us. Don't come. Please stop telling us all that. You know what they did today? 
They rolled over from their back onto their tummy. Yeah, wow. For thousands of years, babies have been doing that. God just kind of says, look, how you present yourself would read the room a little bit. Recognize that there are other lives there that are as important as your life. Leave people wanting more of you, not less of you. And, and one of the key ways that his word in Proverbs says it is how much we talk, how much we talk about ourselves, how quickly we give our opinions about stuff. I love this one in, in, in Proverbs. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Here we go. In Proverbs 18. He who answers before listening. And you know what that means? It means, oh yeah, no, I get what you're going to say. I'm going to jump in and tell you what you should do. I'm going to interrupt you all the time because I, I know where the story's going. I got my own to tell. When that happens, that is his folly and shame, the Bible says. And, and Proverbs just comes out and says it this way in Proverbs 10, 19. Don't talk too much because it fosters sin. The more you talk, the higher percentage of chance you're sinning. There are some of us who are very verbal people. I, it's not me. And my, but my, my wife has, has been my greatest corrector in this, and she does it because she loves me, and she basically helps me understand we need to hear less from you, not more. Okay? There, there are stories you tell all the time. And, I, and, and she says, yes, I love you, and I love your stories, but I know I can recite them. You don't have to keep telling them. And when you, the room is full of people, most of them have already heard your story too, and they're not asking to hear it again. So the more you talk, the more selfish you're making yourself be, so leave pe- people wishing for more of you, not less. Can I just encourage you with the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Because what, what, what just happened now is all of us thought about somebody or maybe some, some, some somebodies that we know that those, that tends to be true of. We encourage you to do this before. Find somebody who will tell you the truth and ask them if you're one of them. Just ask them. Ask them if there's ever a time that they find themselves kind of feeling like they're getting more from you than they need to get. See what you hear. Now, in order to do that, you're going to hear from all this. We're going to end with this. Something's got to happen in your heart in order for you to be open to that, for me to be open to that. This is not just behavior modification. Tuck that away. We'll come back to that. Here's another thing that the Proverbs is going to say about life. Your best friends are the ones who at times make you most uncomfortable. Now, there's conventional wisdom about your friendships. Everybody has friends. Everybody wants friends. In fact, we count how many we have in certain places, right? How many friends do they have? What makes somebody your best friend? In our culture, well, your best friends are the people who you have the most enjoyment with, usually the most affinity with. You share the same like for the same teams or the same hobbies or the same shows. You have the same tastes in certain things. You you enjoy their company. They make you feel good. You have the most in common with them. God's unconventional wisdom is going to say this, that the truest mark of a real friend, when God defines friend, it's not just companion. It's not just somebody with shared affinities. Your best friends are going to be people who are so committed to you, so with you, so for you, 
that they can't not help you get stronger and better. And the way that's going to happen is they're going to sharpen you. They're going to, they're going to be the one who tags you out when, they, when you're off base. They're going to be the one who's going to bring up some things that are flaws in you, things that might get bet, you might improve on, things that affect people negatively. The word, the, there's a word that gets used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that gets translated into English in, in this. It's the word rebuke. Now, a lot of times we think rebuke is I get in somebody's face and I stick my finger up. And I'm pointing at them and I'm telling them what's wrong with them. That's not the Bible concept of rebuke. The Bible concept of rebuke is somebody who lovingly holds a mirror up to you so that you can just get a glimpse of what you just said, what you just did, what your true motive might be. They, they hold the mirror up because they love you, because they're for you. That is called a rebuke. It's a reflecting back to somebody of truth in contrast to what they have not developed yet. It's exposing something. And here's a reality. Rebuke is almost always really painful. It's painful to give and it's painful to receive. Nobody wants to do it. Right? You don't like to be rebuked, do you? You don't like to be corrected. You don't like to be told. You don't want to be, no one likes to be edited. And people don't like doing it. It's why we don't. It just ruffles too much. It's too dangerous. I've seen it explode before when it's happened, so therefore I don't do it. And the Bible says, you want to be a real friend? You want to know who your true friends are? It's those who, this, those who lovingly, regularly love you so much that they make, they're willing to make you uncomfortable. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs about it for 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's an enemy who multiplies kisses. Somebody who flatters you. Says it this way in Proverbs 17. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes does on the back of a fool. This is what the Bible says about those who might consider trying to be this kind of friend. 28, uh, 23. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. There's a call that, that God has on us to listen to that, to respond to that. Okay, he says, you want to get wiser? Or, do you want to know how, to, how life's going to work better on earth? Be somebody who invites it and somebody who responds to it. Because Proverbs puts it this way. If you, this is uh, 15, 31, 32. If you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Those who care enough about you that they'll challenge you, that they'll test your motives, they'll question your motives at times, they'll offer constructive criticisms. Now, here's the thing that's different about this. This is what biblical rebuke is like. This is how it works in Proverbs. The understanding of this is it is somebody who when they do it, they're doing it absolutely out of love for you. They are committed to you. They're not putting conditions on you to say, you better change this or I'm out of here. Our friendship is over. And I've seen this in my own life. If I can tell you, I am I'm a proud Italian man. I tend to think I'm smarter than most people around me. I tend to think I'm more talented than most people around me. I'm a mess. Seriously, I'm a mess. And God has done so many things in my life to just slap me down and humble me and tell me 
Who do you think you are? And, and there's been measure of changes happened, but I know that that seed is still buried deep in, in, within me and it pops up and it grows at times. And my best friends in the room here, in my cell group and other people extended in my life are the people who, who love me enough to say, I need to ha- show you something. I need to have courage. I have courage enough to do this, but I'll tell you in my own experiences this way. All the difference in the world comes when I know that you're for me. If I know that you're hanging in there, that you're not going to abandon me, that you're not saying it in order to get a, 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 just to chop me down to size, you're doing it because you genuinely are for me and you care about me and love me. It's amazing how much I'll drop my shield, how much I'll say, tell me. Because I already know deep in my heart that it's true. I just need an instrument of God to gently remind me to look at him and find forgiveness and move closer to him, to see those things reduce their power and hold in my life a little bit more. That only happens when my friends act. That's what true friendship is. Some of us, some of us have missed significant growth opportunities because we have this pattern in our life when we have friendships and something tension rises with them we, re- we start, we just withdraw from them. We just kind of wall them out of our lives. We don't like being around them as much. We don't want to hear from them anymore. And we have missed the opportunity that God gives us to become more like him. Let me just ask you this question. Let, let's, let's, let's bring this to, let, well, here's the takeaway. Let me ask this. When, when was the last time somebody lived that out in your life? that you can remember that they actually approached you genuinely, carefully, but they said, because I care about you, I need to show, I want to, I need to create tension with you. When was the last time that you had the courage to go and do that with somebody else in your cell group, in your family, in your friendships? You know, this is, you've probably heard this verse before if you've been around the church at all. As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend, one man sharpens another. And it's been said that iron, when iron sharpens iron, it creates heat and it creates sparks. You can't sharpen, metal can't sharpen itself unless it creates friction. It's an innate part of that. And we need to understand, we've talked about this a lot around here when it comes to being living in community, about what conflict is. Conflict is not our enemy. Tension with each other is not our enemy. Cowardice is our enemy. Tension allows us opportunity. Conflict creates opportunity for us to become more like Jesus, to grow in our character. And, the, and that's who our best friends are. They're the people who, who are that kind of friend to us. And let me kind of just throw this one more thing in there about that. God is that kind of friend to you. God wants to be that kind of friend to you. God will accept you. This is, this is the wonder of grace. It doesn't matter what you did this weekend. There's a secret you carried in with you. Something happened that you violated, something you know it, maybe no one else or only one or two other people in the world know it. There's a habit that you carry around with you. There's an addiction that's with you. You bring that in here, and this is the amazing thing about God. He will meet you right where you are. He doesn't make you jump through any hoops. He doesn't make you improve. He doesn't, he doesn't say, get that together, and then you can be with me. He will accept you. He will forgive you. He will embrace you right where you are right now. That is the wonder of grace. It's the most amazing thing in the universe. 
It's the freedom from prison that we were talking about to start the service. But here's the other thing about God. He loves you so much that he's, he will accept you there and he loves you too much to leave you there. He will introduce mirrors from his word into your life. He will give invitation. He will expose it and he'll do it gently and carefully and accept you the whole time. But he wants to take you somewhere. Make no mistake. God wants you to be in a different place 12 months from now than you are right now. Me too. He wants to develop your heart and your soul and even your behaviors to give you more freedom and more aliveness. I came to give life and life to its fullest, Jesus said. The only way he's going to do that is by being a friend enough to you, to me, to create some tension in your life, to uproot you, to make you uncomfortable at times, to stretch you, to show and expose the things that we may or may not want seen. God is that kind of a friend. Let me keep going. Here's here's just another unconventional wisdom that comes from God. This is what he says, and he says this very clearly. When you blow it, admit it first. That runs so contrary to everything that happens in our culture. So contrary to to our patterns, which are to either excuse it or to deny it or to hide from it or to turn it around. Did you hear about the guy that just came came out? There was a guy who um, got, he was drunk. He got in an Uber car. The guy wouldn't take him because, and this happened a few months ago, and he he started beating him, you know, from the back seat. It's on a dash cam video. He He was arrested for it. He apologized for it. He lost his corporate job because he beat uh, on this Uber driver. This week it comes out that that guy, the guy who was drunk, is suing the Uber driver for recording him. Now, I don't know everything about that story, but is is there something about that scenario that just rubs you the wrong way? It does me. But there's a pattern in our culture that says when something goes wrong, find a way to make it it somebody else's fault, to, to, to blame somebody else, to hide it, to deny it, to excuse it. That is what we're... Look, it's why, it's why what happened with Watergate, it's happened with Benghazi, it's happened in all kinds of settings. And there's a reason, because who, who in their right mind would lean into a right hook? If you're going to get hit with something, why would you ask for it to come? And God says, yeah, now watch what happens. This is how I designed people to work. You're going to blow it. And when you blow it, the best thing you can do is to admit it first. Be the one who exposes it. Because cover-ups never work in the long run. Ask Bill Cosby. You know who else you could ask? Ask the father of the man who wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon's father, David, worked on a cover-up. And that became the prompt to what what Solomon is going to say when he... When he sees it. So, so you see these kind of verses in, in Proverbs. Proverbs 5.22. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. There are ropes that catch and hold him. When you've got something that's gone wrong, when you've blown it, that thing is, it, it imprisons you. You've got to find a way to get free from that. Instead, well, this is, this is, what, this is where it evokes the thoughts about David. Proverbs 28. People who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who have a tender conscience, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. Now, I asked you to open to Proverbs 6. You got it? Look at this first five verses of Proverbs 6. And it's just a very simple, earthy kind of way to think about life. It says, okay, my son, here's the situation. 
If you put your, up security for your neighbor, which is, he says you've made a mistake in what you've done with your money with your neighbor, if you struck hands and pledged for another, or if you've been trapped by, uh, by what you said or ensnared by the words of your mouth. Okay, then do this, my son, to free yourself. You see that theme about being imprisoned by it? Do this to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. This is what he says. Go, humble yourself, press your plea with your neighbor. That means initiate the contact. Go and start the contact and the conversation. Go and acknowledge what you've done there. Press your plea with your neighbor. Allow no sleep to to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. You don't wait for this. You don't wait for it to be exposed. You don't check to see what the ramifications would be. You allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. When you blow it, admit it first. Bring it out yourself. Bad news is always best delivered fresh. Before it's exposed, first and fast. You heard recently about the Miss Universe contest, right? And Steve Harvey, who's well known, is the host of the Miss Universe contest, and he gets the card with the winner, and he announces that the winner is Miss Philippines, no, was Miss Columbia, but the card, he read the card wrong which is just a horrifying thing. He's been mocked and all over the place. And, and, and then, so they have to take the crown from Miss Columbia and have to give it to the actual winner, which is Miss Philippines. When he did that, Steve Harvey, who I've never met and I don't know, but I actually have heard that he claims to be a follower of Christ, that he learned it the way of the cross from his parents. And when he did, he acknowledged responsibility for it immediately on the stage. He didn't try to excuse it. He didn't say, hey, look, and they showed the card later. You might have seen it. You know, a small print about, it might have been a little bit confusing. He, did, he, didn't, he didn't say it was somebody else's fault. He acknowledged it first. He took heat for it. Do you know that he got death threats for his children when that happened? But Steve Harvey, who has a talk show, has since invited those two women, Miss, Miss Columbia and Miss philippines to his show they shot it and it's going to show he asked he, he has to bring them there because he had such he was in such turmoil over this and that those shootings those those uh, those, uh, those episodes are going to be shown this week coming up but we got a clip from one of those episodes where he opens it up to the audience and they ask him questions about how were you able to do this how did it affect you to be able to to know that something went wrong and, and that you just went ahead and just took all the responsibility for it. Take a look at what some of what he said. I, I can tell you some hard parts for me. My deeper concern was for the two women. It really was. Because as bad as I felt, Miss Columbia, how could she possibly have that? And my heart bled for her and I haven't been able to talk to her since. That night I went to bed at 12.30. I woke up at two that I couldn't even sleep. But my girl got up with me, Margie. My wife, she got up with me. She was the best. Hey, you gotta have somebody with you. Somebody climbed down in the hole with you. And she did. But she kept telling me, Steve, keep your head up. Keep your head up. You did the right thing. She kept saying, you did what your father raised you to be. 
But as difficult as it was for me, it was really funny, man, because the reason I didn't do any interviews or anything because I wanted to talk to the women first. Because regardless as to how I felt, I was still stuck on them two women. I really was, man, because I got daughters. Now I want to show you this verse again, Proverbs 28. Look at the middle, second, second sentence. If they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. I believe that that's true with God, but I also think it's true in life with other horizontal relationships. That there is a mercy when we, when we blow it and we admit it. There is a mercy that can conquer fear. It can conquer the shame. It can conquer even the judgment. Can, can I? All right, if you're a teenager and you live at home, all right? Okay, look, just, just try this. You're, you're out and you realize you're out past curfew. And you're going to get it, man, when you get home. And you're like, I'm in deep weeds. Okay, just try it once. Come home and instead of like sneaking in or trying to go to your room or waiting for it, walk directly to your parents' room. Just walk in directly and say, hey, I'm home and I blew it. I blew it you will freak your parents out. I mean, seriously, they won't know what to do with that. They, and it may just be, I can't promise this, it may just be that it'll disarm it so much it'll go, well, it's okay. And they won't even know what, that that's coming out of their mouth because they had a speech ready, but you, you messed it up because mercy overcomes judgment when we confess things. Not always, but it, try it. And a word to those who have a serious secret. One that there is no way you feel like you could admit because the devastation would be so deep and so powerful that it would, it would crush those who might hear it. Whatever that secret might be, hear this from God. It will always, always, always in the long run be better for you to express that and get it out and be clean than if you try to cover it. Because when you cover it, the poisons and the toxins will not just sit idle. They will consume you. They will consume the relationship. They will destroy you from the inside out. It is the initial reaction may be horrible and terrible and test you. But God says there is mercy that will come when we, when we blow it that we admit it first. Oh, we could talk more about that. We could talk. We should talk about that in our groups this week. A couple more. Here's here's another proverb that is kind of a summary of what God says. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. If you insist on writing your own prescription, don't be surprised when it doesn't work. Now we have talked about this along the way because the proverbs have got this theme that goes on about this this theme that's doing what's right in our own eyes, trusting on ourselves, trusting in our own wisdom. Okay, kind of trying to decide what's the best path to go. And the conventional practice that happens is when you've got an issue or something that you need to do, you obtain the list of recommendations of all the things you should do, and then you choose the handful of ones that you think will be the easiest or, or that you agree with. So you've got a medical problem, and the doctor says, okay, here's what you need to do, and he gives you six things. Some certain things you're supposed to take, certain things you're supposed to exercise, certain things you're supposed to eat and not eat. And then here's what we tend to do. We go, wow, okay, that's a lot. You know, I think I could do that one. I'll do a little of that one. That one and that one. Things will get better. You go, things don't get better. You go back to the doctor. He goes, 
What happened to these other things? Uh, well, you know what you've done? You've written your own prescription. And the Bible says, as human beings, because we're fallen and sinful, as good as we might think we are at thinking and reasoning, we, cannot, we are not capable of writing our own prescription. We need outside help. We need God's instruments. And he's got his word and he's got his spirit and he's got the collective wisdom of his people that he gives us as tools. But most of us tend to do that anyway. There's an innate untrustworthiness of our own wisdom. And that's why you see verses like this over and over and over again. And here's one in 14.12. It's also repeated in 16. There is a way that seems right to a man. There's a prescription that we think will work. And in the end, it leads to death. God's just shooting straight with us. Says it this way in Proverbs uh, 26. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The worst thing you could do is be, is be wise in your own, own eyes. Self-trust and self-direction and self-assembling of a plan. And you know what else happens here? This, let me just throw this in. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll put up this prescription in order to make our life better and we'll sprinkle religion on it. It's, it's the church thing. I'm going to go, here, here, I cannot tell you how many times this has happened. It may be happening now. That there are pe- we've had people who show up at church and you find out, you know what, they're having trouble getting pregnant. And they say, you know, I need to get, I need to get God in my life. Because if I get God in my life, then he will, I'll do this and then he'll do that. I'll do that for him. I'll, it's like I'm making a deal. I'll do that, I'll get that right, and then he, maybe he'll help me get pregnant. I'm out of a job, so I'm going I'm to start praying. I'm going to start asking God to do stuff. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble legally. I'm in trouble financially. Wow, okay, you know what? I'm going to go serve God some because, and you know what we're doing? We're writing our own prescription. We're saying, okay, here's what I'm going to assemble. I'm going to do this thing, and then God's go, and God says, that ain't how I roll. I love you, but that's not how I work. I don't allow myself to be manipulated or coerced. You can't make me promises and expect I'm going to do something. That's not, I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to follow me. Not for any particular payoff. I'm asking you to release the reins of control and driving the horses in your life and hand them off to me. Not like, hey, if I give you one and now we both steer, you'll take me down the road I'm trying to go down. God says, "Uh uh-uh. Because if you insist on writing your own prescription... God's almost going to work against you to show you that it doesn't work. And so he says things like this about that. This is what this, is what this proverb, that's what this proverb is talking about. Sacrifices that are given with ulterior motives. I'm going to give a sacrifice to God so that he'll do this stuff for me. And he, strong language gets used. God loathes that. He loathes the sacrifice of an evil person, especially when it's brought with ulterior motives. Have you ever done it? Oh, come on. I have. When I do, I'm writing my own prescription. I'm trusting myself. And this is what he says about that. Trusting oneself, Proverbs 28 says, is foolish. But those who walk in wisdom are safe. And so, okay, they got your Bible? You told you Proverbs 6 and then Proverbs 3? Take a look at Proverbs 3. That's why he's going to say what he does here. Here's what God's unconventional wisdom says about when you need a prescription in your life. He asks you to renounce your capacity to figure it out or solve it on your own and utterly submit 
to the entirety of his sources for direction and guidance. And so you get Proverbs 3, verses 7 and 8. There it is again. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Can I say that? Can you hear it? How might that be happening for you? Do not write your own prescription. Do not trust your assembly of the things that is going to produce life for you. And instead, he inserts that word that shows up all over Proverbs. Fear Yahweh. Fear Yahweh and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Is that what you're looking for? Looking for a healthy life? Substitute that with the fear of the Lord. Now, we've talked about what the fear of the Lord is a lot, and I'm not going to go over it a lot, but the fear of the Lord is not shaking in your boots only. It is a healthy respect, but it is a deference to Him. It's a renouncing of my trust and a handing over the reins and saying, you are God, I am not. Your way is the right way. I'm, I, I respect it, and I'm getting out of your way in my life. This is how, uh, how Proverbs says it. Those who follow the right path, they fear Yahweh. Those who f- fear Yahweh, fear the Lord, are secure. He will, uh, he will be a palace of refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9 says. Fear of the Lord will lengthen a person's life, Proverbs 10 says. If you insist on writing your own prescription, don't be shocked when it doesn't work. We could say more about that, but let's go to this last one. Because this is one I want you to hear maybe more than any today. It's this. Get your heart right and everything else will follow. Now that might just sound like cliche to you, but it's really, really not. Because the conventional wisdom says... You want things to work out? Okay, pull up your sleeves, work hard at stuff, solve your circumstances, get your act cleaned up, and then things will follow. And for God, it has always been, and it will always be, always, His focus is not on your circumstances and not on your behaviors first. What He wants, what He desperately is looking for, what He's inviting you to do is to deal with your heart with Him. Your true self, your will, our will, the control center of our life. To ask ourselves, who, who is in control of that? What am I doing with that? It is the focus of God in everything. This is how Proverbs 4 says it. Above all else, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. It is the wellspring out of which all of your life flows. People may be pure in their own eyes, Proverbs 16 says. But the Lord, you know what he's looking at? He's looking at your heart. That's what he's checking out. He's looking at your motives. This is an interesting one where it says, even death and destruction, the realm of death, it holds no secrets from the Lord. How much more does he know more than anything? He knows the human heart. Get your heart right and everything else will follow. God is asking you to allow your heart to be conquered, to be broken. Allow your will to be submitted entirely to him. He's asking you to renounce who sits on the throne of your life because most of us position ourselves there. And in your control center, the true self to say, I'm going to give you full reign, full control. I'm going to surrender my life and my hope and my dreams and my plans and my decision-making, I'm going to lay it in front of you and say, you are the one who I will honor with that. 
I will submit it. And that, it, the Bible talks about that being a broken heart, a contrite heart, a submitted heart, a soft heart. You get that changed. And it's amazing how behaviors and activities will start to follow in ways that you don't even notice happening. You just find yourself choosing differently, thinking differently, reacting differently. The level of peace of mind you have, the level of fear that how, how strong it holds you is released. It, has, it comes back to your heart. So I've got just a very pointed, serious question for all of us today. What right now, right now, what is the state of your heart? What is it with God? Your heart may be conflicted. Your heart might be angry. Your heart might be, it may, it may be intense. God says, I want you to surrender your heart. I want you to allow your heart to be broken. You know how that starts? It starts by coming to Jesus Christ. By submitting yourself to the cross of Jesus, the payment of Jesus and say, I am lost and I, I need to die to myself. I need another life. You said you would give it to me. You said you produced it by dying for my sins on the cross. You conquered death. You will give eternal life to whoever asks. And here is my heart. It's the control center. I'm inviting you to be the savior of my soul and the leader of my life. That's where it starts. And once that's already happened, and for a whole lot of us in the room, we've crossed that line. There is a recurring decision that we need to make about our hearts. Because your heart will naturally harden on its own. It will. Mine does all it does. And God says, keep submitting your heart. Keep bringing your heart back to me. You in Proverbs 3, the verses we just read earlier, follow the ones that are probably the most famous in the book of Proverbs. Some of you, these are your life verses, the ones you've written or seen on plaques. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Look at it again. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. You know what it doesn't say? Trust in the Lord by first and foremost obeying all His commandments. Trust in the Lord by going to church. Trust in the Lord by serving Him. Trust in the Lord by getting your act together. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And look what he does. He will make your path straight. He will take you the direction that he says is best for your life. But it always comes down first and foremost to your heart. No matter where you have been coming into this room today, there is something that can happen in a moment. It is the wonder of the cross and the grace of Jesus that your heart right now, your heart can be made whole. Your heart can be made new. Your heart can be reset. It doesn't happen by singing songs or sitting in a, in a chair. It happens because you surrender your heart. You willfully turn over your heart to him. You invite his cleansing and his leadership on your heart. What is the state of your heart right now? And are you and I willing, maybe for the first time, maybe to renew this, to say, God, I want your way in my life. I want your health in my life. I want my paths to be straight. And so the way I'm going to start is I'm going to say, my heart might have been wandering from you. My heart is drifting. My heart is self-serving or self-driven. My heart has been distracted. My heart has been embittered. 
I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to bring my heart in front of you. I'm going to say, take my heart, the control center of my life, and again, make me fully and completely yours. Do that. Start with that and watch what God does to give you a better life, a fuller life, a freer life because of his love and his grace in our lives. Pray with me. While we're, I want to ask you maybe just close your eyes if you would. There are moments when I just, sometimes there's a moment when we, something needs to happen. And I just, whether I sense that or not, I don't know. But I want to just ask you, there's somebody in this, maybe there's a lot of us in this room. Who, when you, you don't even know what that means. You're not even sure what it means when it says, my heart, But in this moment, the God who made you and loves you and offers you forgiveness and restoration, cleansing and direction, has his hands out to you and says, you've been trusting in something other than me. If that's you, if you've been trusting in something other than him for the direction of your life, for your hope, in this moment, maybe for the first time, I want to invite you just quietly where you are from your heart to say, I am placing my hope and my trust in you. You could say to him right from your heart right now, I believe your son came to earth to die for me. I believe you will give me freedom and acceptance. I am sorry for my sin. And I put my trust in you. You do that from your heart right now and the Bible says your heart comes to life because he gives you his life. I'll just pause for a moment. If you want to say something like that from your own heart to him, do it. While you still have your eyes closed maybe and just bowing in front of God, maybe you've done that in the past, but you know that your heart has drifted. Or there's something that has just crept in and it is controlling you. There's a fear There's a pain of something has happened to you. There's a resentment. Maybe it's just your own desires, your own craving for something in the world. But you know that it's squeezed out the place and that your heart has has not not held firmly by Christ because you have wrested him off it. Even now, there is absolute restoration and forgiveness. A recentering and a reshaping can happen. And I would invite you, if there's something you need to turn from, if there's something you need to just say from your heart, would you say, I need to tell you this, God. My heart has gone somewhere else. I have not had you at the center of my heart. And so right now I want to recenter it. I'm hand it to you again. Make me fully and completely yours and lead me where you want me to go. I trust. I will put my trust in you. God, we started this morning with that video that talked about it being like life being like a prison that we get comfortable in. And then when the door gets open, we don't even want to come out maybe. We heard the song and said, don't you want to run free? Make us people who will run free with you, set free by you. 
Give us wisdom that guides our lives. The very the things we've talked about today, even just the tangible stuff. But help it come from a heart that says, my trust is in you, oh, you alone. Make us fully yours. And then lead us in ways that even though it scares us at times, it doesn't go the way we want. We know with confidence there is a God who is good and who is in control and he has got my life and my heart. Make that true for us. Thank you. In the name of your son we pray, amen.